Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, And through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello and welcome to our first bonus episode this year. So a lot has happened aside from the obvious story. Uh, We celebrated our first birthday. So thank you for joining us on the Instagram Live. Thank you so much, everyone. And in this bonus episode, we are joined by a special guest. Some of you may have seen him on some of Clubhouse rooms on African history. And he is a lover of all things history, just as much as we are, and especially Nigerian history and politics. So here we have. Karis with us so it's our sound effects Hey everyone! Uh, thanks for thanks for having me join you guys and to talk about uh, the lovely, lovely, lovely subject uh, called history. We're really excited to have you on. So our standard first question we normally ask is: So where are you from? Where are you really from? That you know <laughs> the loaded question. What do you identify as in terms of your nationality, etc.? Okay. Well, I am a I am Nigerian uh, Canadian. So I'm from. Canada, but I'm, I was born and raised in Nigeria. Born in Calabar, um, the old city that's in Cross River State, in a nice little southeastern part of the country. I am, in terms of my ethnicity, so I am half. I'm gonna say ethnicities people probably have never heard of, but uh, they are minorities. I'm an Ejagam man, I'm half Ejagam, half Efik, and so those two ethnicities are indigenous to that part of the country, which is Cross River State. So yeah. Yeah, it's nice to hear other ethnicities mentioned within the Nigerian sort of conversation, isn't it? Other than the typical big three. Um, (laughs) So yeah, shout out minority. (laughs) (laughs) So what's the diaspora experience like in Toronto? Um, Toronto's, uh, with Toronto and I would say Canada in general, it's um, very very diverse in regards Mm. to the diaspora experience. Um, If you're talking in particular, the Black diaspora, Canada has a long history of Black peoples um, being here, being brought over as slaves as early as the 15th century. Um, And then, of course, having, you know, people who were freed from slavery from the United States or people who were trying to escape slavery who came up here. And then, of course, um, we had our own I think as, as you guys did, we had our own Windrush generation of the 50s and the 60s of a lot of Caribbean people. So Toronto's diaspora would be heavily Caribbean influenced or yeah, the Black community here, you could say. Um, but again, it, it differs from parts, uh, you know, city to city. And, you know, Montreal, for instance, is, is heavily Haitian and Black French speaking. So Haitian and Ivorian and so on and Congolese. So on and so yeah. <laughs> you got to yeah. shout them out. You got to yeah, shout yeah. them out. It sounds like an actual, like a true melting pot, you know, exactly. um, sure. which is just awesome. And how did you get into African history and why, especially your interest in like pre-colonial aspects of the history? How did you like get into this area of interest? Yeah, um, it started, I've always been a reading a reader ever since I was like four or five, like I, I just loved reading. And my, my dad pretty much, you know, got me into that. By the age of eight, he got me my first history book. It was the history of Nigeria. Yeah. At the age of eight. Yeah. I still have the book. I still have the book. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, Start it's, them young. Wow. Your dad young. sounds yeah. impressive because. Yeah. Hey, when I was wow. eight, I was still reading about the tortoise and the stories. 
you know what's funny is I've posted this, I've tweeted about the book before because I use it as a, as a resource, although it is destroyed and missing a lot of pages. But yeah, it has my name, Karis Abuja, Nigeria, 1998. Um, and yeah, that was how I got into, into history. And then, you know, in terms of pre-colonial history, it really was um, a question of, you know, how did we as Black peoples kind of get to where we are today in terms of our standing in a lot of societies around the world. Yeah. Why is Africa the way it is? You know, why is there so much injustice in many of the countries, whether it's in Britain or it's in Canada or it's in the US or in Brazil or like, why do we have such similar stories? Took me into pre-colonial history, trying to understand basically who we are. And that's how I got there. And why was that an important question for you? Why the intrigue? It really began to take off around um, the, young, the young kid that was killed because of Skittles. Um, he had Skittles on him. Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin, yes. Mm. It really started with that. And, you know, really asking the questions in regards to injustice. Yeah. And why are we where we are today? You know, why is that? And so that, that I believe that was around, um, I think 2010 or 20, 2011 or 2012, around that period. Yeah, it was the early 10s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I always believe that every single thing in this world, it doesn't happen for a first time. So there is nothing new under the sun. You know, things have happened before. There's a cause and effect. And so it's trying to figure out that cause. You know, why do people not see humanized Black people? You know, why, what caused that? And that's where, that's really the beginning. And that's so true in terms of history repeating itself with the topics that we cover. And it's the frustration that we have in terms of like, why didn't we learn the lessons? But it is just a copy and paste again and again. So no, it's really interesting that you bring to light that point. So as a podcast, uh, we've tried to cover pre-colonial history, but you know, the sources are not the easiest thing to try and find. Mm. So it's easier to focus on the colonial era and independence battles as the information is slightly more accessible really so there's there's quite a big gap between colonialism and the transatlantic slave trade which affected the continent you know for over 500 years and then Mm. colonial rule lasted only around 75 years so why do you think there's this silence when it comes to the slave trade in africa um i think there's silence simply because number one from the african perspective and having gone to school in nigeria and I'm not sure if it's the case in other places, but I think it is. It's that it's not taught in schools. History is not part of the curriculum. And if you're not, so most people are very ignorant. Um, unless there is a concerted effort to teach that part of history, it more often than not, you're either going to learn it in university or if you really, really have questions that need answering, then maybe you go to, uh, like, for instance, if you live in Nigeria, for instance, you have the um, uh, either a slavery museum in Badagri or slavery museum in Calabar. Or if you live in Ghana, you could go to the slavery museum uh, that's uh, just off the coast um, or just on the coast, sorry. But that, again, is if you if you really have that interest. So I think that a lot of it has to simply do with just for the education system doesn't teach these things. And that's a big injustice. Yeah, absolutely. Because over here, I guess it's like, okay, we understand, we know the reasons why in the UK education system, we're not really taught the ins and out about empire, etc. But it's so odd that even in the continent, which has been affected the most from this, that it's just still not taught within those settings. I think which it says a lot also to the misunderstanding of colonialism and what colonialism 
what was its purpose? And I think that once people are able to understand the purpose of colonialism, then you begin to understand why there is such an ignorance around the subject um, on the African continent. And again, going down to simple things, just we're still using the old colonial education system. Um, and even when a lot of, you know, um, imperialist people or pro-imperialist people who are not who are outside the continent would say, well, you know, colonialism was great for the continent, but then you realize that in in certain places, you know, they they would they would certain countries would become independent and only have 30 people who have who are university graduates in a country of millions. Or the entire infrastructure is built simply to ship, not for the for the sake of the masses, but infrastructure is built to either protect the expats, the colonial expats, or to ship out resources. And so it's not built, things are not done for the benefit of the people there. And I think that's something that, you know, including the education system, everything plays a role in just making sure that the people are subservient in a way and don't really need to critically think about you know, their environment, their cultures, and their surroundings and their history. You do see it you know, we've not let go, as you said, around those structures. And so we've just kept them going. And then we wonder why our history isn't taught and we don't have that um, understanding of it within the continent itself. And so on the topic of um, pre-colonial history, do you think Europeans and Americans have failed to consider the African perspective when it comes to the transatlantic slave trade? Oh, 100%. I think, um, and again, I mean, I get it. If <laughs> Generally, you're going to focus on your own uh, perspective that is most um, in closer proximity to you. So if you're if you're from South Carolina, or if you're from Mississippi, or if you're from Canada, um, or if you're from Britain, like you're going to focus on that which may have occurred around you. But 100%, um, there is a part of this narrative that is not considered, or if, if it is ever considered, it's, it's, there aren't a lot of questions uh, the right questions are not asked, yeah. and it really centers around the source of the genesis of the slave trade or the genesis of colonialism. Um, and so the nuances and everything that is is uh, afforded to a lot of um, American history and even, I could say, South American history like Brazil and Colombia uh, and even the Caribbean, that same nuance is unfortunately not afforded to where slaves came from and so that's that's something that i think that uh, oh 100 is overlooked definitely and i guess even when you think around like film depictions of of uh, of transatlantic slavery it tends to focus heavily on the american perspective and the american narrative yeah. which kind of leads to um, misunderstandings around what happens yeah. so what do you make around the whole uh, phrasing around oh Africans were selling other Africans into slavery and, and what were the ways in which Africans were sold into slavery because we know there was that um, article in the New Yorker which we'll put in the episode show notes around that lady saying oh my, my great-grandfather was a was a Nigerian slave trader mm. but to what extent is that actually the case? So Whenever that, there's that there's that question, and then so there's the question of why did Africans sell other Africans into slavery? Then there's the question of um, why didn't they come get us? I think there's a third one, but those are the two that I've heard the most. And to be very honest, I think that is an incredibly simplistic question to an incredibly complicated period in history. And and you know when you break it down, you know again the the 
this is, I think, some of the big issues is that we don't afford a lot of narratives to come out of Africa, the nuance and the context. How slavery was looked at and done in one part of the continent, in one kingdom prior to colonialism is very different to another. What were the, we don't ask the right questions again. What were, what was the mindset? Not, not a, having a mindset of now, you know, today, a present day mindset and placing it on them and saying, well, you know, why did we sell each other? That's a very outside mindset. That's a very 2021, you know, <laughs> mindset. Um, and, and we can't apply those things to the 16th century or the 15th century or 17th century. Um, and so the politics was different. The dynamics was different, political dynamics, social dynamics, and it differed from place to place. And so the way, what I think about it is, yeah, we're applying a very simple question uh, to a very complicated period in time, which was over 300 years. And that's where I, that's why I enjoy about studying that part of it, because I like breaking it down and looking uh, and seeing like, you know, what were the truths? Yeah. And that's a fair point. When you're looking at today in terms of how countries are set up and how during colonialism, Africa was carved up, but very much before that. It was very much these smaller communities and whether people did identify themselves as, you know, nations as we have today in terms of Nigeria. No, they didn't. And maybe that has a part to play in terms of potentially how it was potentially easier or um, kind of have that African selling each Mm. other potentially. But no, definitely it's kind of looking at Mm -hmm. from this perspective definitely puts a different light on it and that question. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, and, and I think once you start to look into what were the kingdoms that existed? back then. These are the things people outside don't really look into. What were the politics at the time? Um, Sometimes a lot of things that we apply to Western civilization, so we say like imperialism, for instance, these are things that are not alien in the African context. They existed and they played a big role in the slave trade, right? They played a big role in, you have an empire like Benin, for instance, it was incredibly powerful. And Benin was so powerful, well-respected to the point that, you know, they were one of the first people to interact with uh, the Portuguese when they came down to the Gulf of Guinea. And, um, you know, to the point of opening an embassy in Lisbon, this is in the 14th century, you know, and so, you know, these were people, they had an empire, but then when you look at Benin as an imperial empire, okay, what are the narratives that come from there? You have um, certain ethnicities that had wars of independence from Benin. So in the same way, some people would say, oh, you know, Britain, imperialism, that we fight against British imperialism. There were people in that period that fought against Benin imperialism. And so when, why were they fighting again? Then we enter the things of subjugation and slavery and so on and so forth. So I think these kind of contexts and narratives, that's unfortunately not afforded to it. So people often tend to think, well, we're all the, we were all the same. We're all the same. We're all black. Whereas at that- We're all kings. We're all kings. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we was hanged, you know, But, but there were many, many societies that were warring if if they existed today they would be on twitter saying down with imperial benin this is a terrible place because they subjugate us and they sell us into slavery and they do this and they do that people were not the same and that is the important thing is that it's not putting us as a monolith and once you get that straight then you understand this whole selling of ourselves thing was not something common but at the same time it can be applied in one or two cases i can say that so how much of a role do you think slavery played in weakening cultures and really yeah. creating that space for colonialism? Slavery, it, oof, massive role. In fact, sometimes you have to ask the question of if we didn't get in, because slavery is always, okay, here's, here's the important thing. Slavery has always been there. It's always been an institution um, and it still is an institution today. Um, this making people to work for free 
will always be there and just, and has always been. But the transatlantic slave trade, the effect that it had was immense. I mean, again, you had the creation of a lot of inter-ethnic wars um, and a lot of bloodshed. Several historians have often described it in terms of the depopulation of the coasts, like places that were steaming with millions of people are now gone. So that has a huge effect on politics. It has a huge effect on the economy. Yeah. The economy-wise, it um, stunted a lot of growth. Because again, the slave trade, the transatlantic slavery was so lucrative. Um, and it stunted the growth of other industries um, in West Africa. Other types of economic activity, like um, metalworks, for instance, were stunted. Anything like pottery and cloth weaving and just any other way to develop because there was so much money to be made everyone put their eggs in the basket of selling human beings to Europeans and this of course would lead to the fall of empires later on including Benin and Oyo and the weakening of many others because at a certain point once slavery was banned or abolished in 1807 uh, by the British think of a people who've put everything into the, the basket and the basket gets taken from you. You're like, what are you going to do? So yeah, so slavery played a massive, massive role in changing it, not just the depopulating of the of the continent or of the of the slave coast, uh, but also in terms of economic growth, even technological growth, cultural growth, it just destroyed yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah, so it's almost like it was a sort of stepping stone, as it were. Yeah. And so why do you think it is that when discussing African history, we seem to be much more comfortable in discussing colonialism and its impact on the continent. But there is that sort of sense of shame or rather just like a void when it comes to the transatlantic slave trade, particularly from the African yeah. side. Because I remember when I went to Cape Coast, I was fortunate enough to go a few years ago, several years ago, actually, <laughs> um, in Ghana. Mm. And um I remember the guide being like, oh, yes, but we also sold our brothers and sisters. It's like, wow. look at like just so shameful. And he was describing what happened. So wh why do you think that there is that? And, and why do you think we're much more comfortable in, in discussing colonialism? I think it's one, a misunderstanding of colonialism. That's one. Um, and the effects of it. And not really understanding, because again, because of the lack of history, where we were coming from, what was the, how the trajectory changed with colonialism. But then just like you said, the other is, is shame. And I think this is the, for me, as, as someone who loves history, again, where I'm from, Calabar was one of the largest slave ports in the world during the transatlantic slave trade. And there is a slavery museum there. And, it, you know, thousands or millions of people, sorry, um, over three, 300 years went through those ports. But you have to tell the truth. I'm not going to hide it or sugarcoat it for the sake of looking good or, or, or image. It has to be told because this really occurred. This changed cultures. This changed everything. And we had a part to play. So I think it's shame. I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about those things because of how shameful it is, because you would have to somehow take accountability. And again, there, therein also comes in the different perspectives of, oh, more often than not, in, at least in the West, whenever we talk about slavery, and I think maybe that's why that Igbo, um, or that article in the New York Times shocked so many people, was that it showed people voluntarily taking part in selling, whereas the narrative had always been people were kidnapped and that the Africans um, were just victims. And then the Europeans came and they just ran through and just kidnapped everything. But then once you read history, you realize that there, you realize that the, the systems that existed, the system of the middlemen, you know, they needed people who cooperated, who saw it as a business, who were willing, who made money and made profit off it and people who had their hands in it. So I think it's shame.
I think it's shame. And what do you mean by when you were talking about how there was a misunderstanding? So generally, people tend to think that, again, colonialism was to our benefit. The general narrative, I don't know if it's this is the case for other African countries, but I always assume it is. You always have people say things like in Nigeria, oh, I wish the British could come back just because the way things are bad. Oh, if the British had ruled Nigeria, maybe we would look, yeah, maybe we would be developed. That person clearly does not understand colonialism, you know, because to wish to be subject to the British crown where they don't care about after you. after this week. Yeah, you know, not after this, exactly. <laughs> to wish to be subject under the Belgians, to wish to be subject under the French or the Portuguese or the Spanish. It's weird to say that, you know, and again, it has to do with education. They're not teaching you the bad things of colonialism. They're not going in depth. There's no critical thinking about that stuff. And so I think that's, it's that misunderstanding of it that, uh, And obviously, during that pre-colonialism period, the transatlantic slave trade, which is what we've been focusing on, is the most prominent. But the continent also experienced things like the trans-Saharan slave trade, Red Sea, Indian Ocean slave trade. But why do you think the transatlantic quote is still so prominent? I simply think it's recency bias. That's even the right word? It sounds accurate, so. Yeah, it sounds accurate. (laughs) It's something that, one, it occurred the most recent, and two, when you look at the countries that are in power today, Mm. it's only simply because of them having a hand in colonialism. For instance, the fact that things like colonialism is a direct um, result of the slave trade, and many African countries, or even... gosh, Asian countries and even South America, okay, Asian countries more so are less than 70 years old, with the exception of maybe one or two. So colonialism is still very new. Vast majority of our parents or grandparents were born subjects of the British crown or the Belgian crown or the French government, you know, or the Spanish crown or Portuguese, so on and so forth. And then, of course, slavery in the fact that Um, it led directly to the greatest power in human history, which is the United States. And also another reason why the United States tends to be the center of the whole topic, uh, because it played a role. Now, the Arab slave trade was occurring even as, you know, the transatlantic slave trade was happening. But what are the countries that came out of it, you know, and, you know, we, we don't, maybe if Saudi Arabia was the most powerful country in the world, then it might be, that might be the conversation. Maybe that would be the focus. But I think because it it shaped not just the America America but it shaped South America it shaped the Caribbean it shaped Canada it shaped Britain it shaped Belgium on top of the African continent like the slave trade was was just massive and it, it the effects are still felt today I would say more so than the the Arab slave trade um, but that is yes one thousand percent that is something I think that is often overlooked um, in this discourse or narrative and it's interesting the point you make around how much of an impact and influence it's had in all of these countries but really in terms of people talking about it and having discussions about it it's something that's kept out and I feel like a lot of countries both within the continent but also especially from a UK perspective we tell ourselves the side of history which is much more palatable with the likes of Winston Churchill we stick and provide ourselves a superhero Kate, when actually the much darker side of it and the areas we were involved in, mm. be it Britain's perspective, but also what Africans were doing to each other and, you know, what was going on at the time. We try and tell ourselves a story which is very much, okay, we can deal with this. This is a comfortable space. <laughs> this is the discussion I'm happy with. Anything veering outside of that, mm. we completely avoid, even though I think will really help us in understanding the reasons why we are in the state that we find ourselves in. 
100%. And I think even to add to that, a lot of the, just like you mentioned, Churchill, a lot of the benefactors are our heroes, uh, quote unquote, at least in these parts of the world. In Toronto and or in Canada, we still have statues of Churchill. In the UK, you have statues of Churchill. But if it's not Churchill, then it's the, the education systems, you know, or the fact that we all speak English or French. So these, these are effects that or every day that we're that we're dealing with. You know, the fact that, and again, maybe that's why it made it was so interesting that they're pulling down statues of people who were involved in the in the slave trade. Because again, you could still see them around you. Yes, there's monuments celebrating people who did very terrible things. There's scholarship. Cecil Rhodes is the Rhodes Scholarship is a is a prestigious scholarship, but it's named after a man who was heavy in colonialism in Southern Africa. Created a whole country called Rhodesia. So these are things I think the Arab slave trade doesn't necessarily have. I don't think it has it to that extent. So things like awards, you know, things like MBEs or OBEs, and just looking at where they come from, you know, and and the history behind it. And you can't but just realize that yes, this is this is really bad and it's a very, very influential in, in our day today. It's odd because it's like in our face in the terms of how the statues were. But I remember when Colston's statue was pulled down in Bristol, I was like, wait, who's Colston? <laughs> right? Did he do? I was like, who who is this man? Like I had no idea. It's like, it's like the, the statues are not really teaching anyone a lesson, in a sense. It's just there to honour them. So that argument around the whole, oh, but, you know, we need to show our history. It's like, but, but no one learned anything. Seriously, like, it's one of those things. I was asking myself the other day, I said, if I had a Rhodes Scholar, I'll put a, if I was a Rhodes Scholar, I'd put on my resume, <laughs> you know, because it's a big deal. Oh, Rhodes Scholar, right? But then look who it's, look at the, the heritage, the story behind it. It's terrible. This was a terrible man. And yet we have people um, who out of ignorance who don't know. My son is a Rhodes Scholar, my daughter. But are you, but realistically, are you really going to turn it down? Probably not. These are the effects that we deal with today, Mm. you know? And so, yeah, that's why it's so, it's so in our face kind of, you know, in, in many manifesting itself in many ways. And I think it just brings back the value of education because us being able to understand who these people are, why these statues are there, what they represent is really important so that we can make appropriate decisions, if that makes sense, you know, and we can stand for something much more strongly and with better conviction. But it's through a lack of just never being taught and you have to put a lot more work in Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. able to find out and, you know, do the work for yourself to be able to say actually no that's not correct it's quite a big thing to put onto individuals to learn it's either you learn it for yourself or there's this part of your identity and like you said the reasons why we speak English French and the slave trade all of it is all connected that you kind of lose it and you just accept that this is just the way it is yeah and it's 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 that's the the, that's the this mm, not depressing but maybe I'll use depressing that's the depressing part of it <laughs> in that you realize how but again it, it, it one shouldn't be surprised because this is you know four five hundred maybe sometimes even six hundred years of just conditioning and of a culture and of an institution that have been set and it is very difficult to break out of it. And I don't think we will ever break out of it anytime soon. Um, but therein lies, I think, on an individual basis, um, you know, 
we really have to if it, if it really matters to us we have to ask those questions to ourselves yeah. and uh and 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 whether or not do we do we want to move on in life because when people say ignorance is bliss truly it is because if you really do have uh, knowledge of these things you, you're like man like yeah your entire society everything you're sometimes your being is on the basis sometimes the very culture the african cultures that we pride ourselves have changed they're not what they originally used to be or, or they're birthed because of the slave trade or because of colonialism, you know? And so there's a lot of things where you look into these, th- when you look into history, you realize, man, we got it bad. Yeah. And that's the case though, isn't it? Do we, you know, each country kind of within the continent, do you forge your own path in terms of your identity? It was like you said, ignorance is bliss. You just carry on blindly following because if it's been going on for 500 plus years, you know, what is the what's next you know without people individually you would need people to individually do the work galvanize and then be able to make a difference but um yeah it's a gosh it's frustrating (laughs) you know the funny thing about something like that is uh, you know I was thinking I said well you know let's say that the the transatlantic slave trade never happened you know and uh let's say it never happened and again this is again part of the romanticization of, of the African pre-colonial history that I, I really hate. Um, we could be still having this very same conversation, but we could be talking about, I don't know, let's say the Sokoto Caliphate, or we could be talking about the Congo Kingdom. Maybe the Congo Kingdom ends up expanding and dominating and spreading and all of Africa comes under the Kingdom of Congo, or maybe Benin Empire or the Oyo Empire goes on this massive uh, manifest destiny of conquering. And then we're all under the oil empire. And we're wondering to ourselves, man, we all speak Yoruba. Like what happened to our, (laughs) what happened to our, our old languages and our old, you know, religions? Now we have to do the, the Yoruba religion. So, so on and so forth, you know? So I think sometimes one has to, for me, it's like, okay, well, this is just what human beings do. Maybe whoever, maybe, maybe, the next 500 years of history, maybe it's going to be our turn. I don't know. It's a bit bleak, isn't it? Always going to get oppressed. <laughs> but we move. <laughs> we move. <laughs> we forgot. Uh, yeah, like, who's, literally, who's next? Because in history, you always have those people. If it's not the Romans, it was it was Alexander the Great and his empire. If it wasn't Alexander the Great, it was the Babylonians. It wasn't the Babylonians. It was the Kanembornu Empire. You know, if it was the Ghana Empire, it was Mansa Musa and his people. So you're always going to have people who look to conquer. It just so happens it was the Europeans this time. And uh, here we are. And so, yeah. With um, ongoing like human trafficking that we see prevailing within the continent, specifically within countries such as Libya, what are your thoughts around, because there's an article, it was in Time magazine, and we briefly touched on it when we covered Libya um, in one of our episodes. And um, Abu Bakr Somohoro said, uh, we no longer need slavers going into Africa to capture their quarry. Now Africans are sending themselves to Europe and becoming slaves in the process. What do you make of that statement? Because obviously it's a bit simplistic to reduce it to reversal of of what's happening. But in a sense, there is that what we're seeing happening um, across the Mediterranean, you know, the EU being quite hostile. Um, what, What do you make of that current situation? I think, again, it is it's a very complicated situation. Um, It's a situation that can be fixed once you deal with a lot of the economic issues in a lot of these countries um, for the fact that people are willing to cross the Sahara Desert, which is which is a death trap, you know, and people 
Um, if I remember, I remember the story of, of a Nigerian guy who got caught in Libya and he had to, again, what, what, what was the reason? Dreams of getting to Europe, dreams of escaping poverty. But he was able to raise $5,000, US dollars. Mm. Someone who is struggling. So you could see there's desperation. It's not like he was some rich guy who had $5,000 US dollars lying around. I'm going to make, no, no, no. He was somebody that was desperate to get out of the environment that he's in. And I think that's, once we're able to deal with that, then that whole attempting to make it into Europe and getting caught into the slave trade um, will stop um, because it really points to a deep desperation to cross the Sahara Desert. On top of the fact that you're raising money, you know, and that's why some people were very scared to go back because they borrowed some of this money, whether it was $2,000, $3,000 to pay to people to transport them into Europe. And then all of a sudden you get stuck in, in Libya and then now you're coming back and you have to face the people who you owe money to. And you had promised that you were going to pay them back, like those kind of nuances. Um, and also one thing about the slave trade is that it points to the fact that, again, slavery will always be a thing. The issue that's going on in Libya is but many instances of slavery still being an institution Again, I made mention of cities like Dubai are built off the back of slavery, you know, or we look at child trafficking, that, that's slavery or the trafficking of, of, of women, people going missing. But the difference between today and 300 years ago is simply in 1948, uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which put all these things underground. So by the, the United Nations creating the um, UDHR um, saying that, you know, people have a right to life and a right to free speech and a right to this and a right to that. And everybody agreed. It put these things. It didn't destroy them. It didn't destroy the institution. It simply put it underground. And so things like Libya are what we see, this manifesting of it. If not for the civil war in Libya, I don't, um, I don't know if it, if, if, it, if it was a thing that might have been exposed. And is Libya even the only place? You know, I, I've heard Mauritania is another place um, that also had deals with, with slavery, you know. So, so yeah, so those are, those I think are issues that can be dealt with in terms of giving, if people have an opportunity and they're not desperate, um, it wouldn't, it, that, that flow of people there would, would not occur. One of the things we wanted to discuss with you as well is the term diaspora wars. So sure. where there seems to be a strained relationship between Africans living in the continent and Africans living, be it in America, UK. And do you think that not understanding the full history behind the slave trade is the reason behind um, this tension? Uh... No, I don't think so. I think as a <laughs> as a as a veteran of many diaspora wars, although I do not partake in diaspora wars <laughs> anymore, but as a I have a lot of medals. But as as a, as a veteran of many, um, what I think it is, and I I remember tweeting this many years ago. Um, it is simply ego number one i think number two especially on the social media space it's a clashing of cultures um it's a clashing of different mindsets different perspectives what you consider insulting another person doesn't consider insulting that's well that's just how we speak you know so i think that's what leads a lot to to it uh will i say it's um it's a misunderstanding of the slave trade per se um i think Sometimes in terms of insults, I've heard people say a lot of very, very, very terrible things um, when insulting people, you know, whether you're insulting people from the Americas, maybe if it's an African person insulting people from the Americas or from the Caribbean and 
using slavery as an insult. I think that is terrible. And that, again, goes to show the lack of how really terrible the slave trade was for you to be able to use that um, as an insult. But aside from that, I think it's simply just a clash of cultures. And I think what needs to be done is simply cultural exchange. It's not a looking down on the cultures. I think, you know what, I will say this in, in addition to that, there also tends to be, because of the lack of understanding, a looking down on people that are descendants of slaves. I can definitely agree that, yeah, that's also a thing and is evident in the insults, of course, being used. But And so when, when people, for instance, are, are attempting to reclaim their identity um, or reclaim their history, for whatever reason, we... All of a sudden, yesterday, we're not gatekeepers. We don't really know much about our cultures, but we become gatekeepers today. <laughs> and we start, oh, hey, yeah, oh, you don't do you don't do this. You don't do that. And it's kind of like, well, who made us gatekeepers, right? And so I think if, yeah, I think, okay, I, I you know what? I, I take that back. I think, yeah, sometimes I think the slave trade um, and lack of understanding of it does play a part, which does lead to that cultural, um, that clash. And the best way to deal with it, the best way to deal with it is a cultural exchange. Um, in Nigeria, they attempted to do that in 1977. It was called Festac. And basically, it was the Black Olympics. Yeah, Festac 77. They even, if you live in Lagos, um, there's a whole estate called Festac Estate. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I was like, is it that in Lagos? Yeah, it was built for that. It was built, it was built to house the, just like the Olympic, you have the Olympic village yeah it was built and so the purpose of that was you had everyone in the diaspora come in to share cultures and have an understanding and to talk and even prior to that in the early 60s um, you had a lot of cultural exchanges in particular between the United States so a lot of artists in the United States and a lot of artists in uh, West Africa so you had people like um, uh, Nina Simone coming oh to Nigeria gosh. and James Baldwin meeting with Chinua Achebe and just a cultural exchange so I think that's what needs to happen um, not and but it came from a place of these people not looking down on each other people often forget vast majority Many of the early African presidents, um, of first presidents post-independence, schooled in HBCUs. So people like Namdi Azikiwe, the first president of Nigeria, schooled in an in, in HBCU. Kwame Nkrumah as well, schooled in an HBCU. But if I'm correct, I think Jomo Kenyatta in Kenya also schooled at an HBCU. So they come from the place of not looking down on these people. And then from there, you're able to exchange cultures and able to have that conversation. So I think, yeah, we need to... We need to stop looking down on people and uh, stop saying things like your cultures are not original. You know, stop saying things that, oh, you know, I, I remember there was a, a very stupid, stupid statement I'm going to say a stupid statement that was made on Clubhouse where a woman said well you know their culture their culture American or North American American culture is not really that deep like ours and it's like the funny thing is, is their culture is incredibly deep and older than some of our cultures that are brand new on the basis of slavery and colonialism some of our cultures didn't exist prior to slavery and colonialism so they're newer than the American experience and so who are we to then go say that so I think those are the those are the things yeah all I'm going to say is Festac 77, unfortunately, it was, they tried to do that in 1990. It just, it just never occurred again. But that period in 1977, the entire Black world was in Nigeria. And it was, they literally did a parade, just like the Olympics. You know, it was in Lagos Stadium, National Stadium, you know, Ghana, and Ghana comes in with the thing. Oh, United States, United States comes in. Brazil, what? Congo, this, this and that. And it was, it was so literally sick. like that. So I think if we can do that, if we can do that more, I think that helps a lot in terms of the diaspora and us getting 
a lot closer. What we need is like a commonwealth, but for black people. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Like, that would be much more accepting. That is the solution. Than... <laughs> we have to just find out who the king and queen would be, but we'll get there. And do you recommend any sort of, I know you've touched on a few, you've mentioned a few places to visit to learn a bit more around um, what we've been talking about, really, just in terms of um, what, what actually happened during um, the slave trade, as it were. I know in the UK, there is the, the there's a museum in Liverpool, which I have been to. Um, when I found out about maybe around seven years ago that the UK was involved with the slave trade, thanks to my lovely curriculum. So yeah, what are the sort of locations that you, or museums or places to to visit that you would recommend? Yeah, so um, in the UK, there's one thing you have to remember, places like Bristol, like you made mention of uh Colston, I think his name was Edward Colston, the slave trader. Yeah. Um, Bristol was one of the biggest uh, ports in terms of sending merchants to uh, the West Africa and shipping. So if there are um, museums, if there is, they should be a museum because a lot of records are kept in Bristol. A lot of records on the slave trade, London as well, Liverpool as well. Aside from the UK, um, Calabar in Nigeria is a great place. There's a great museum there. Um, again, Ghana is, a, is another great place. The Gambia is a great place as well. Um, and uh, Luanda, I think, in Angola, because Luanda was a massive slave port, um, which often is not talked about because it's, I think, maybe from a Portuguese perspective. Um, so yeah, there are there are a lot of these places. If you find yourself in Lagos, in Badagri, um, or if you find yourself in... Uh, in Portacot or anywhere in, in that part of Nigeria, you know, go to these places and they will have um, either small museums, local museums, Benin, um, if you're in Benin City, um, if you go out there, there, there should be a museum, I believe. If it's not the Obas Palace, it should be, there should be a museum on their history. And so they touch on slavery and, and so on and so forth so those are some of the places you can um, you can go about oh that's incredible honestly thank you so much for just catching up with us I You're honestly welcome. just want to ask you so many more questions and just be like <laughs> what are your thoughts on this honestly oh it's, it's been amazing thank you so much Karis um where can our listeners find you social is thank there anything you. you're working on reading on at the moment that we should know that you want to share please yeah. tell us tell us for sure um i want so in terms of books there's a lot but you know what um the two princes of calabar is one good book the diary of antera duke is another good book and and these are books you can find on either google books or uh, apple i books i think for like six bucks seven bucks um and from there it goes into depth in terms of the perspective of slavery from the, the Calabar perspective. Um, aside from that, um, I always say this, JSTOR, JSTOR, JSTOR. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, JSTOR, for those of us who are in the, uh, because of pandemic, gives us access to 100 free articles or journals uh, per month. And so I think it used to be 10 or 20, but then yeah, it increased. So, so JSTOR is a great place. You sign up for free and you get access just mm put in Congolese history and you get academic journals, some as old as a hundred years old, and it's telling you these things is free. So JSTOR is a great place. And um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. 
fried rice gym. I tweet um, a lot, although recently not as much, but I do every now and then will tweet a lot about, um, you know, African history, in particular, Nigerian history, Nigerian politics. You can also find me on Clubhouse as well. Fried rice gym is the name on Clubhouse um, and where I host rooms. Um, so I, I'm the, I have a club on there called the Black Republic and I do uh, at least weekly where we're doing Nigeria currently, but eventually we're going to spread out to African history and really just, again, having this conversation or having a conversation, but in with the nuances and context that are needed. Uh, last but not least, the Black Republic blog on Medium. Um, and that's where I write a lot also um, about African history, but in particular, Nigerian history. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. Amazing. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you to you both. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. I, I enjoy talking history. So yeah, it's been a pleasure for, uh, to, to be on here to talk with the both of you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Karis. Gosh, I feel so nourished after that discussion. Just insane. Oh, incredible. Definitely amazing. We're going to have some big news coming up at the end of the month. So keep your eyes peeled on our social media. It's a continent pod on Instagram and it's a continent on Twitter. And we're back with the rest of season three in April. We're going to be looking at the Chagos Islands. So a big thank you to Claire, one of our lovely listeners who sent us this topic along with various as well so yeah feel free to do that if you do want to um send us suggestions feel absolutely free dm us email we us. do listen yes we love all the topics that you suggest more listener love a big thank you to ed for supporting us on patreon and for simon for buying us a coffee to find out how to support us on patreon or buy me a coffee check out the episode show notes or our show description all right thanks everyone guys bye